This is Republic of INSEAD, the 20 years later O3D podcast edition. I am Milena Ivanova and will be your host in this limited series. So, here we are, 20 years later, hopefully all the wiser, naturally smarter and as charming as ever. There were 432 of us in the O3D vintage. And certainly, there are 432 unique and very interesting personal and professional stories to tell. While I cannot physically cover all, I have tried to make a selection of stories that will keep you interested and curious and will hopefully convince you to join us on campus for reunion. Welcome to the Republic of INSEAD podcast edition and enjoy the show. Right, today I have Harry Potter with me. And without further ado, let's begin. Welcome, Harry, and tell me, how is it that you picked, or what is it that you picked from the Republic of Inciatia book to share with us? Be your inefficient self and make us laugh. Let's see if you still hold that magic. All yours. I go to read from the MBA tricks. Hmm. This imagines a conversation between uh, our hero, CEO, and uh, the Dean, Pecker. Pecker. You'll feel it when you go to work, if you ever manage to get a job. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. CEO, what truth? Pecker, that you are a slave, CEO. That you, like everyone else in the Jan 2003 promotion, have been accepted into bondage. Maybe even some light spanking. That you will be kept inside a 12-month prison that you cannot smell, taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Outside, the wind batters a loose pane of glass. Hordes of robotic students wander aimlessly across the terrace, clutching green INSEAD coffee cups. Corporate interviewers cackle with derision in a corner outside the CMS office, laughing at the CVs they found in the profile book. Unfortunately, no one could be told what the MBA tricks is. You have to see it for yourself. Just like Singapore, actually. CEO, how? Pecker, hold out your hands. In CEO's right hand, Pekka drops a big green bill. This is your last chance. After this, there's no going back. You'll be locked into a random group for two periods. In his left hand, a small blue bill. Pay the blue bill and the story ends. You wake up at West Florida University and believe whatever you want to believe about financial accounting. The bills in CEO's open hands are reflected in Pekka's glasses. Pay the green bill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the cubicles go. CEO feels the smooth, shiny surface of the bills, the moisture growing in his palms. His mobile rings and somewhere in the building, a social rep ticks off another bottle of champagne. Remember that all I'm offering is the rubber stamp on your CV. Nothing more. The good professors are for the executives. (laughs) CEO opens his wallet and pays the big green bill. The Cheshire smile returns. Outside, Eric the barman casually insults a non-French speaker. The BDE unanimously re-elect themselves and the rugby team run past wearing nothing but tube socks and (laughs) moustaches. Welcome to the real world. Oh, excellent. And the author of this, we may say, was uh, Chris Larmour, who's going to be a guest on this show. So there you go. Excellent, excellent opening. And I should have everyone know, I did hear Chris continued in his writing career, but he's keeping it to himself for now. So let's see when he 
is going to publish his next uh, world famous piece of art. So well, well, he he actually saved us with with that that piece for the yearbook. We we had a sort of uh, a piece for Singapore which we already had, and then um, we we had a big gap for the the Fonty piece. And it was sort of at the 11th hour, we suddenly thought maybe Chris could do something. And he took it on and turned it around in like 24 hours or something. And I remember opening the email and thinking, brilliant, it's funny. How did you know he has the talent? It was more a case of uh, who, he was the only one willing to to have a go at it. (laughs) Okay. Well, there you go. So, so that's the yearbook. I've invited my guest today. I call him Harry Potter. I'll let you figure out who he is. Uh, but um, I invited him because I wanted this podcast is inspired by the Republic of Inseat yearbook. Uh, this was our January O3D uh, memorabilia, which um, I recently brought back with me from London to, to Sofia. And I'm having so much fun with it. That I thought I should base the podcast on it, and uh, my guest has been the editor of the original, and uh, he allowed me to use the title. So thank you very much, and uh, I should say a shout out to all the other souls who have helped us keep that memory. In the book, it says Kevin Burke, Pablo Vera Pinto, Plum and Jordan of the one and only Bulgarian man. <laughs> Kirtan, Vanessa Bertelli, Severin de Wolf, Sofia Marimba, Sabrina Deshert, Joanna Meyerhofer, and uh, they were all part of the team, and obviously Chris Larmour, and a few people who were feeding you kebabs and stuff. There, there, there was a lot of late night work in, um, uh, in Fontainebleau to try, and, to try and get it over the line. Was that at the end of the year, or when did we do that? When did you do that? I don't really remember. I, th- I think we it was probably P5 when most of the work happened. And it was there was a lot of, you know, we had to teach ourselves how to use Quark and all this kind of printing stuff. I don't I don't even remember how I got involved. I'm pretty sure Kevin Burke had something to do with it. Uh, he, he was certainly responsible for the uh, the snazzy red cover, which the uh, the printers called leisure aspect for, for reasons I don't remember. So, well, someone I was interviewing, Sylvia, in fact, uh, was asking me, um, she has lost her copy and she was asking, can we get an electronic one? But sadly... Alas, no, no, they are unique, limited edition um, uh, memories of our time. There are no PDF copies that I'm aware of. Uh, so if you've lost your copy, I'm afraid that's it. Uh, unless you want to go and photocopy someone else's. Oh, we can do an auction, huh? In true Inziat fashion. What would Ingemar suggest as the, as the auction style we should do on this one? What would you suggest? What would you uh, Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess there's a, a clearing price for the remaining copies. Like a million bucks. Yeah, something I'm not like that. selling mine for less than this. I can tell you that much. There you go. So on this note, uh, you did some reading. Let me do a bit of reading. Uh, now you will understand why we are talking Harry Potter or maybe not. But um, now I'll read back to you. Someone, I don't know if you know who, wrote your profile. And there it is. I do. Mm, you'll tell us afterwards. Maybe. So I open quotation. 
just mention the letters IT and the disheveled Harry Potter-like figure will emerge from his back row slumber. Either cheerful or recovering from a perhaps too cheerful night, he continually brightened our spirits. He has entertained us with his guitar stylings and has bemused us with his weekend hangover wear, an exceedingly well-worn bathrobe. Sociable and hospitable, he quickly shed his studious image to become the social butterfly we know and love today. He became, in short, the man we'll remember from the party photos. The women, for their part, will remember him too. From the Guatemalan highlands to the valleys of Ireland, the man is a legend. Though he often did his best to provide evidence to the contrary, he is both fantastically bright and, according to his groupmates, surprisingly efficient. Nonetheless, we will remember him best in his inefficient moments, evoking smiles, laughter, and often puzzlement. So there you go. Any comment, any, anything in your defense? That was written by Willem. I think he did, he did a great job. Uh, you know, it, it takes me back to um, E6 all those years ago. Yeah, you're giving away clues. Okay, now it's like people start guessing more who you are, but fine, fine, fine. I love it because I've been doing now, I've done a bunch of recordings already for the podcast, and I must say it is scary how some things never change <laughs> for all of us. And it's scary how some predictions, I mean, look at this inefficient moment making us laugh all this yeah and you still do that so there you go but on a more serious note uh shall we go into mm, the last 20 years and the summary of your 20 years uh what have you been up to what have you done where have you been uh it's it's been a busy time so where should we start? I, I'm I'm married. I'm married to Kate. We have three children: Michael, Rory, and Anna. Uh, we have a cat called Maggie Scratcher, and a dog called Abney. We got married in Brussels because that's where my wife grew up, even though she's Irish. Uh, and sadly, I think that's probably about the most international thing I've done since since the ad. Uh, I've I've worked almost exclusively exclusively in London. We are currently moving house in our neighbourhood. The children have given me a list of their must-haves, which include uh, a skateboard ramp and a five-a-side soccer pitch. They may they may not get all of those things. Uh, they might have to put up with a babby foot table is, instead. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're we're doing well, thank you. In in work terms, it won't be a surprise for for any of you to learn that I've spent the last twenty years in technology. At an entrepreneur, consultant, and more recently as an angel investor. I've founded two businesses, one successful, one failure, uh, and I've consulted for tens of clients. Uh, I'm currently doing freelance consulting around a transformation for a financial markets data client. There are some interesting challenges to ensure the right level of performance in real-time tick data. Uh, the speed of light is a hard constraint in, in this world. In the future, I'd like to kind of continue to 
doing the sort of things I've been doing, but maybe broaden my portfolio a bit, start to build up some non-exec roles. I, I still feel I've got another startup inside me, but I, I need to do the negotiation with my family that, that is required to, to make that happen. I was going to um, say, what, what is making you resistant? But now I got it. All right. Well, you know, I, it's also timing and, and finding the right thing that I'm sort of passionate about. It, it, one of the things that I, you know, in, in pondering the last 20 years, it's amazing how much the world of technologies has, has moved forward. I mean, when we were at INSEAD, it was a time before Facebook, before cloud computing, before the iPhone, before cryptocurrency, all of those things are developments after we left. So, um, you know, I, I, no doubt that will continue and no doubt there will continue to be opportunities. Mm. So what would you say has been the biggest challenge of these two? Yeah, biggest challenge. The, the, um, so the company I co-founded, Opsera, started off as a, uh, a the, the premise of the, the company was to use open source software to transform the way that enterprises consume software. Back then, that was a, a sort of novel approach. Open source software is is freely contributed to uh, by many people across the internet. And at that point, a lot of enterprise software was proprietary. It was created by a company. It was entirely owned by that company. And this idea that you could have um, open teams and um, collaborative working across the internet was was a novelty. Um, and it, and it, we had to convince people that it was the right approach. Um, whereas nowadays, it's, it's totally assumed that you know most bits of clever application of technology will involve open source. So we we built that company up. Uh, we we built software for banks, for payment platforms. We built a charitable giving platform that took over a billion uh, pounds of donations over its lifetime. And then later in the in the life of the business, um, we pivoted to uh, a specific application of open source technology. So this is open source infrastructure monitoring, managing large fleets of servers and bits of network infrastructure. And we did that sort of sweet spot in the market. So for companies that were big enough that they had complex IT needs, but not so big that they were happy to pay the, the big bills for uh, the proprietary uh, tools that did this. Uh, and we grew that over a number of years and then sold it uh, in 2021, right in the middle of one of the lockdowns. Mm. The, the hardest bit was 2008, 2009, after the, the sort of financial yeah. crisis, um, the work dried up and we had to you know, make redundancies and take no salary for a good chunk of time to, to keep everything afloat. And the sort of, the mental load of, of dealing with that was quite hard. Uh, but, you know, you get through these things and find other opportunities. And, and uh, you know, we, we, we did that and were able to make the business a success. Mm. And you said you had one successful business venture, one failure and a few bruises yeah. in that yeah, order. A few, a few so, bruises over the years. A so, bit so of unpacking. We, so 2016... Um, I did another startup, which was, so by this time I'd, I'd sort of 
handed over day-to-day um, uh, work in, in the business and was focusing on the sort of strategic side and looking for the exit, um, but also doing freelance consulting work. And I spoke to some, a, a friend introduced me to a, a group of scientists who were working at the European Molecular Biology Laboratory. And they were the first people in the world to use synthetic molecules of DNA as a data storage technology. So the idea here is DNA is incredibly information dense, you know, many times um, more information de- dense than even the, the best data storage technologies that man has created. And that DNA is incredibly stable over long periods of time. So if you want to record something, save that data for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years, then DNA is also a really good way to do that. The other, the other key argument is almost every other technology that we've invented, you, you need to keep the reading technology. And if you go back 30 years, it's very hard to get data out of 30-year-old technologies, whereas because of the, the healthcare application of DNA, we'll always have access to ways to read uh, synthetic DNA. So, so it was to try and commercialize this work. And it was, it was fascinating, you know, really sort of challenging. We got a consortium together. We negotiated the, the IP carve out from, from this scientific institution and was sort of just about to, to get it over the line when our lead VC pulled out. I think that was primarily about the, the UK risk appetite. We just don't have the the right long term view of um, opportunities like that. So that was that was pretty painful. I'd invested quite a lot of my time. I mean, you know, financially it wasn't that bad, but but emotionally it was quite a, a roller coaster to go through. And there's this sort of feeling that. Um, the idea was right, you know. Subsequently, um, been licensed to uh, a group in the states, funded by DARPA, and that and that makes me think, you know, we were right to pursue this. There was uh, a real opportunity there, and uh, it's just a shame it didn't didn't end up happening in the UK. Oftentimes, it's about timing, right? And I don't know if it's just the UK or if it's also, excuse my dog barking, but that's when you work from home, guys. So, and girls, uh, it's, I don't know if it's just the risk appetite in the UK or also in Europe. So a European type yeah, of may well be. issue, right? So, because I talk to people uh, and I've been on the investment side and there's a big, big difference, big gap between how US approaches risk in Europe. Uh, on the venture side. But anyhow, what did you learn from this, Xavier? Well, I got I got to meet some really cool people. I uh, I, I got to, to have meetings with um, some of the sort of key architects of the internet, a guy called Vint Cerf and another guy called Herman Hauser, who was the um, who was involved in the original BBC computer in the UK and then was one of the founders of ARM. Um, you know, it was fascinating seeing the world through their eyes. I learned about my own sort of resilience. Uh, you know, I think actually that's one of the key 
things that I've learned in the last 20 years is to trust myself more to um, to find ways through things even even when it's uh, even when it's a bit tough. I like that resilience word we should all write down keep repeating resilience. <laughs> yeah I need I often need more of it you're right so it's good you learned it. Hmm. Let's talk about so a bit of the on the learning side focus on industry and your specialty so technology startups angel investing you mentioned yeah and you did mention already technology has evolved dramatically and i'm sure it's going to continue evolving but give us the helicopter view on what you see what's happened you already mentioned but what more is going to happen now ai is being a big topic as well so the interesting thing about ai is that it's the sort of confluence of several different things. I mean, I remember seeing neural networks back in the late 90s and the methods have moved on a bit, but it's, it's sort of fundamentally the same approach now as back then. What's changed is first computation, you know, the, the, the number of um, calculations that a computer can do uh, has dramatically increased in the intervening time. In particular, with things like GPU acceleration, the people that made the hardware that allows you to play games, you know, it's largely about polygons and calculating where they are in, in space and uh, what color they should be, that kind of thing. The same maths that's used for that turns out to be the same maths that's needed for training AI models. So that's why NVIDIA's stock has gone through the ceiling recently. And partly it's sort of the interconnectedness of, of the internet and the massive training sets that allows. So common crawl is this sort of uh, reference set of something like 4 billion pages of web content. And, you know, the AI training is, is, is only valuable if you've got things to train it on. So um, being able to put all of this data into a machine learning model allows us to see the sort of results that we've got with chat GPT and, and, and so on. You know, you can bung all of Wikipedia, all of Reddit, all of Project Gutenberg at these tools and they learn. You know, I, I use learn in inverted commas. They, they sort of statistically learn. But in, in many ways, that's sort of how humans work, right? The, the, the neuroscience behind the way our brains work is that we are like Bayesian prediction machines. We pay attention to novelty and difference and your brain's constantly looking at things and making judgments, but it's comparing against all the prior evidence that you've seen. So if you, if you get small babies and you show them things like physics, blocks, appearing to move against gravity right the babies will be drawn their attention is drawn to that in a way that they're not when they see um, a block appear to fall right because that's learned they expect to see that so uh, you know what what we see with chat gpt and and things like that is in many ways that the beginning rather than uh, you know having having reached an endpoint and actually, things like alpha fold. So this is there's a, there's a hard problem in biology, which is or molecular biology, understanding how proteins fold. So a, a protein is a chain of amino acids, and 
can you know understand what those are and how they fit together but understanding how the protein folds on itself has been historically impossible except experimentally you have to look and see what the what the protein looks like when it's in its folded state and someone calculated that that there are if you if you try to work out the structure of a protein randomly it would take longer than the age of the universe right there's more possible states for it to be in but they trained uh, some the deep mind team trained uh, a, a machine learning algorithm on protein structure and it's been able to um, reliably predict how the, the proteins would be folded this is effectively sort of moving biological sciences forward by decades and it's using the same approach you need the hard the hard computation you need the the training data but it's it's genuinely moved society or humanity's understanding of protein folding forward and and that's probably a much more significant moment and it's very hard to understand how proteins fold in advance um, but this machine learning uh, approach has been able to do exactly that and it's advanced biological science by decades uh, and that will have you know impacts on healthcare and our ability to solve other other problems so you know this is an example of ai really helping helping to move uh, uh, humanity forwards uh, i think that the concerns about sort of exponential learning and um, machines taking over the, the terminator style scenario have been around for a while i was i was i was remembering that there was this short story by arthur c clark called dial f for frankenstein and and he's worrying about exactly this back in 1961 but his concern is that the phone network by connecting up all the world's phone systems there's a, a system with you know the same order of magnitude uh, of connections in it as there are neurons in a human brain, right? So he he was imagining that that would go go sort of um, learn learn exponentially and then take over the world. And I, I think these sorts of ideas uh, are, are not hugely believable because they assume sort of infinite resources. There's somewhere there's a power supply. Somewhere there somewhere there's um, things that have to be consumed to make that processing happen so i'm I'm not so worried about that i think there's much more immediate concerns around things like uh machine learning hallucinations you know where there are glitches in the way the algorithms algorithms work that mean that chat gpt for example will say things that aren't true that it's sort of invented and indeed, there's a there's a great story about this. Recently, uh, a lawyer in the states used ChatGPT for case research, and ChatGPT confidently said, "Ah, oh, yeah, you know this this case." And he even said, "You know, is that a real case?" And ChatGPT gave some sort of assurance that it was, and where he could look it up. But he didn't bother and um, put it in front of a judge, and the judge has now. Um, uh, hold him up and, and said, you know, why shouldn't you be struck off? So, you know, there are immediate worries, but they're not not in the same order of of magnitude as as the sort of 
um, the more uh, dawn days turn area. Yeah, that 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 seems less believable to me, and I think we're probably many decades decades away from artificial general intelligence. So you are more optimistic than pessimistic than on AI. I think so. You know, more results like AlphaFold, we can start to solve some of the hard problems in science and medicine. You know, things like uh, antibiotic re resistance. Those are uh, those are that's a key challenge to 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 get past. Maybe pre preventing the next pandemic. Mm. Uh, speaking of which, basically, I was uh, interviewing Andrew Booth, uh, who's in biotech, a couple of weeks ago, and I was uh, doing the transcription yesterday, and he said this, it's like telling somebody you just saw somebody run 100 meters in two and a half seconds, and you're like, it's not possible. He was referring to how, how the technology and what they've done during the pandemic has gone. So being able to go 100 meters in two and a half seconds, it's totally putting things on a new playing field. And in terms of healthcare and scientific discovery there, he, he was also saying we are just at the beginning. And that's Yeah, I think that's right. He's saying, so, well, I'll take it from the experts. <laughs> I'll, I'll trust you on this one. All right. So... You said uh, you've become an angel investor. And by the way, in our private chat briefing before the recording, you said Victoria and Twistle also had something to do with it or with one of your investments. So yeah, she, she introduced me to a team. So she works as a sort of uh, venture advisor um, for Imperial in, in London. And we'd been catching up over a coffee and she told me about one of the, the ventures that she was helping, which was this team called Dharma Health, who are looking at personalized medicine, in particular, contraceptive fit based on DNA. Apparently something like 70 to 80% of women have side effects from contraception, hormonal contraception. So they are trying to work out to unpick how those side effects work and to provide advice and guidance um, based on based on genetics. And this is something that you know even a decade ago wouldn't have been possible to, to, to sequence the number of genomes required cost effectively is only a, a, a sort of thing that we're able to do now. So I've I've been one of the the investors in this business. They were on a TV show in the UK yesterday. I think it's it's both a business opportunity, but also a, a sort of societal benefit. Uh, I think femtech has been underinvested in historically, um, so uh, you know, pleased to support them. They also had the right sort of team and mindset. You know, really, what I look for in in a team to invest in is the same sort of people that I enjoyed spending time with at INSEAD, right? It's would would you um would you feel excited about working with these people? And in my experience, the the teams that I could answer yes to have have been uh, have been successful. 
How many investments have you done so far? I, you know, small small number so far, but uh, you know, it's it's a um, a long term bet doing angel investing. So uh, it's it's uh, a long process. And is there a deal breaker or breakers? Like you see a team and then you say no because. I've been trying to maintain quite hard boundaries around the stuff that I start to consider. So I try and only invest in areas that I have some understanding of, you know, an edge, if you want to call it that. So there are lots of things that are perfectly sensible businesses that I just, I don't have a lot to add or don't have enough knowledge about what makes a successful business in that space. So I try to sort of gently avoid those those opportunities um and then when it comes down to something in my field is there a deal breaker i i think there's there's no right answer right it's too it's too easy to say oh it's this or it's that i think there's a whole set of judgments about the people about the opportunity about the timing about incumbents and the do nothing option and all those kinds of things it's too it's too difficult to um to pin it down to one single thing but yeah the the, the one of the tests i use is would i feel excited to work with these people and does the the, the opportunity make me feel excited mm. so Fair that's enough. the sort of thing i look for and since you are mentioning uh societal impact and you know beyond just making money or beyond just uh, being in business uh, i'll use this opportunity to, to switch gears and then the INSEAD connection with victoria giving you a tip or a recommendation and talk INSEAD, uh your INSEAD connections and you did mention you like to work with people like the ones you met at INSEAD. so um any other examples you have of INSEAD having been part of your journey uh these 20 years outside of drinking beers and wine with us <laughs> uh i'm i'm sure there are i mean the great thing about the the mba experience was that it it gives you that sort of confidence to have an informed discussion about most things and as i say a sort of mental template for the sort of people that i want to work with and and uh, uh invest in i mean i think at heart i'm i'm an optimist and in Siad, and and you know maybe we should talk about the um donation to the to the school i think I, I, that's important for me because i think that business for good is a fundamentally optimistic idea to help make the world a bit better through the the mutual bonds and obligations that um doing business depends on so that that sort of thread runs through it for me i think that's that's what i'd like to see a, a, a slightly more democratic and less unstable world and i think that business can be part of the solution to that hmm. well thank you very much for uh, <laughs> bringing up the endowment as opposed to me but uh, yes you are a green pen holder and you've given in seven of the last 20 years which is a pretty good statistic uh, one of these days, I'll run the statistic for everyone, but uh, uh, consistent giving is not a given. So thank you very much for, for this. And um, with this, let's switch to, and I do encourage you to give more, of course, but uh, let's switch to 
my final bit, which is the quick round of questions back and forth. And if you are ready, we start. I had someone yesterday who had a cheat sheet. Imagine that. The things you learned. <laughs> cheat sheet for the quick round of questions. So, you ready? Sure. Proudest achievement? Cal's level three Spanish. Okay. Success for you is? Uh, I, I like the idea of being able to sort of support the next generation of technologists and business people a bit encouraging some of the change that i think the world needs uh that that for me is is a form of success and happiness is relaxing into middle age with family and friends and a glass of wine super biggest regret uh i regret not keeping in touch with more people from INSEAD. i, I do feel like i've lost touch with with some of them i i still see people in london fairly regularly and you know but it would be nice to have stayed in touch with more people perhaps the uh, reunion will be late. an opportunity yeah never too late you know i was telling you when as i've been preparing for this i got in touch with quite a few people and some of them i hadn't been in touch with for almost 20 years and the amazing thing is that with everyone we start literally as if we left it where we left it off yesterday so that yeah yeah, yeah. That Thing. It's almost like your your primary primary or high school friends in Seattle is one of these things. It works the same way, seems to. So what keeps you awake at night or you sleep well? Since the children are a bit older, I sleep fairly well. Uh, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, this. Do you remember the, um, the set text, the end of history? Turned out not to be the end of history yep. at all, didn't it? I, 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 geopolitics keeps me awake at night at the moment. Mm, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Wish you had known or someone had told you. Uh, I think I, I mentioned it earlier, this sense of learning to trust yourself, that you'll find a way no matter what it is that you're trying to, to achieve. If you had to do it all over again, what would you change? I'd buy Apple stock in 2003, Bitcoin in 2007. Oh. I, I, I don't think I'd change much. I'm pretty, pretty happy with how things have turned out. Most admired public person? I, over the last couple of years, have admired the way Zelensky has dealt with the, uh, the challenges that he's had to, to face, you know, both in terms of the expectations of him and and his uh, courage in the face of some pretty uh, scary stuff. Yeah, and most despised public person. <laughs> most of them. Take take your pick. I I look back on the days in in the UK where I the worst that I could imagine was um, Jeremy Corbyn becoming leader of the opposition. I th I think it's only got worse since then. You know there are. Lots of people I, I'm not impressed with on the global political stage. Yeah, as I say, take your pick. Yeah. If you had to pick one book everyone should read. I would recommend a book called The Phoenix Project, if you have to interact with anyone in the IT world. Okay. Which is a reworking of The Goal, which you may remember from uh, Oh, yes, from it time. Which was itself a reworking of the, uh, the theory of constraints. So... <laughs> sort of come full circle i mean it's 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 had quite a powerful impact in the it world small batch sizes uh 
you know, only one bottleneck. It, if you apply those sorts of lessons to the development of software, you end up with the principles of agile computing and software development. And, and that actually works a hell of a lot better than the way that we used to do it, which was spend months writing big documents and then going off and building them for two years. And then the world has changed so much that what you thought you were building is no longer what you need to build. Right. So um, uh, if, if you want an insight into the world of IT, the Phoenix project uh, is, is well worth reading. Super. All right. And the last one, are you coming to reunion? I am coming to the reunion. I, um, I think the hotels may be booked up. So I'm, uh, I'm oh, staying in an air, a crazy Airbnb. But uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's my, yeah. uh, my wife's um, university uh, reunion the weekend before or, or something like that. So I think I'm, uh, I'm flying solo so that someone can stay at home and look after the kids. But yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. It would be great to connect with everyone. So some crazy pictures are guaranteed then, right? <laughs> well, it depends if Ricky's coming. Uh, I think he is, but we'll ask him that. Uh, well, it's October 6th in Fontainebleau and the gala dinner at the Chateau on October 7th. And I can finally tell you that Harry Potter is actually only Bradley Oliver, who is an exited founder, angel investor, digital transformation consultant, entrepreneur, according to LinkedIn. And he also was the editor of the Republic of Inciat, the original and spectacular O3D yearbook. Thank you so much for that and for the memories you've ensured we, we will have. So that was it from me and Oli today. Thank you, Oli, so much for your time. Thank you. Yearbook. You were listening to the Republic of Inciat 20 years later O3D podcast edition. It is my hope to remind everyone what an interesting and dare I say colorful bunch of people we are and how much we can contribute to each other, be it through ideas, knowledge or mere inspiration. The podcast is inspired by the original Republic of Inciad yearbook produced on paper 20 years ago by Oliver Bradley and team. Thank you, Oli and team, for this contribution to our class's memory and for letting me continue in the tradition, title and inspiration included. Creator and author of the Republic of Inciad 20 Years Later O3D podcast edition am I, Milena Ivanova. Original music by Peter Dundakov with help from Their Films Productions. Stay tuned for more and remember to book your tickets for the 20-year reunion in Fontainebleau, October 6th, 8th, 2023. Thank you for listening.